The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's Paul's urgent appeal in Romans 13, verse 12, but maybe it's something easier to agree to than to actually put into practice. This is the Living the Word Bible Podcast, and I'm Sarah Chris Meyer talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. In this episode, we take up the issue of growing in virtue and combating vice, which was so important to Paul. With me is Maria Marrera Johnson, who wrote a series of reflections on the pursuit of virtue for the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. Maria, welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you today and so proud to be not only a part of the Bible, but also a part of this beautiful podcast. So it's a pleasure to be with you, Sarah. Maria, you have described yourself as a wife, mother, grandma, living my vocations with love. It's really lovely. I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and about what you do. Sure. So I am all of those things and, and probably more. Aren't we all complex human beings? <laughs> I was born in Cuba and uh, and immigrated to the United States when I was just a little girl. You know, went, went, did the typical Catholic girls school, went to Christ the King Elementary School in Atlanta, grew up, moved to Miami got married, had adventures overseas. My husband was in the military and eventually came back and settled down uh, first in Miami and then in Atlanta, Georgia. And now these days I find myself in South Alabama living on a little island with no internet and just writing to my heart's content. Oh, that just sounds idyllic. (laughs) Tell a little bit about what, what you do professionally then. I'm the Hispanic editor for CatholicMom.com, which is part of the Holy Cross Family Ministries. And I'm a retired college professor, right? I've taught writing and composition and literature for, for over 30 years. And I just find that my position now at Catholic Mom is really the intersection of all the things I love, writing and mentoring other writers and and just producing good, authentic Catholic content. It's just it's just a joy to you know, to to have all the things in my life that pointed to this very moment now. And it's a blessing. You're really fortunate to have that. So I understand that you had a real, uh, I guess, an awakening to the faith and also to scripture relatively late in your life. wonder if you could tell us about that journey. I did. I, I guess I could still call myself a cradle Catholic. I was certainly raised in the faith. <laughs> I have an interesting story. I was not only baptized, but I was also confirmed a couple of months after my baptism because of the the communist situation in Cuba and the um, the exiling of many priests. So whenever there was a priest available, all of the sacraments were conferred, you know, as much as possible. So I so I was both baptized and confirmed as an infant, which is I think pretty rare today. So I grew up Catholic. I, my mother's faith was very beautiful, very devoted to the Blessed Mother especially under the title of Our Lady of Charity, who was the patroness of Cuba. And so I always grew up with, with a deep understanding of being loved, not just by the Father, but also by our, our, our you know, Blessed Mother in Heaven. And so I think I had that strong foundation. But, you know, I think like so many young people in their 20s, I, I drifted away from the faith. It wasn't a dramatic, oh, I don't want to be Catholic anymore, or a declaration of being 
uh, agnostic or atheist, but more of a slothful, right? A, more of a very lazy turning away from from practicing the faith. And and I lived like that for full on a decade before, you know, I was in in the sacrament prep with with our first daughter, our oldest child, and you know, with big blue eyes, looked into my face and said, "Mommy, why don't you go up to communion?" Oh my I goodness! I was taking them to to mass, and it. Really, the most convicting well, <laughs> moment, and so it started my my journey back to the faith. And uh, that same child, ten years later, was on a retreat where she learned how to make twine rosaries, and made her first rosary and brought it home to me. I hadn't prayed, actually, to be honest with you, I don't think I had ever really prayed a rosary correctly. Mm. You know, with a whole meditation of the mysteries, etc. So that kiddo, round two, got me praying the rosary. And, you know, I've heard from so many people in, in the work that we do in the Catholic world, right, that either Jesus leads us to his mother or his mother leads us to Jesus. Yes. And that's exactly what happened to me, that Mary kind of stepped in and said, okay, baby, I got you. Let me hold your hand and teach you a thing or three. <laughs> so how did that change your life, really? Oh my goodness. And in many ways, my husband wasn't practicing either. And I remember it was at the time that the Luminous Mysteries came out and it was so controversial with some of the old school people who were like, we don't need a new set of mysteries. But I prayed the Luminous Mysteries, I think every day for a year, renewing my baptismal vows, imploring Mary for my husband's reconversion. So it was, I think, that second decade that sometimes if I only prayed one decade, it was it was the wedding at Cana where I asked Mary to, to intervene for us. And so he came back to the church and back in communion. So it was really a, a, a beautiful journey for, for the family. So you have written a couple of books about extraordinary women and saints, uh, maybe some supergirls <laughs> who have <laughs> Helped you to grow in faith, to grow in love as you, you know, matured in your faith. What kind of drove that? And tell us a little bit about those books. Well, the, the first book, My Badass Book of Saints, first of all, I did not come up with that title, <laughs> you know, that the marketing team comes up with yeah. the titles. And I scandalized my mother. And but it's actually it, it's actually meaningful in Spanish. My mother used to call me Tremenda as a kid because I was always getting myself into trouble, you know, jumping off of, um, you know, cabinets and, and trees and things. And so that's the translation to the loose meaning of badass in English, which is that you're bold and courageous. And, and so that's how the, the title came about, really, from a, one of the stories that I had shared about my youth. But when I wrote that book, it really was in response to Sister Blantina Segal's opening of her, of her uh, canonization investigation in New Mexico, I made a, a, a comment on Facebook about the world needing, you know, more women like this. And it, it kind of sparked the interest of my editor, Heidi Saxton. And we got to talking. And the truth is that I was always looking for role models in the faith. And there were a lot of beautiful women at the beginning of this journey for me who wanted to walk next to me. You know, they weren't trying to teach me anything or show me anything. Just just live the faith along with me where I could see, you know, their joy and and some of that caught on. Right. So I put together this idea that, you know, we look to the saints, but we can also look to our sisters, 
around us. We met several years ago when we were working on another project for wine. And that fellowship and that and that having dinner together and 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 lingering, you know, over dessert and coffee is really what what builds our community. So I wanted to convey that in this book. And so I tell a little bit of my story and, and a little bit about my faith journey in it. But I also showcase incredible women who are living beautiful virtues at the time that I wrote that book. Oh, and and accompanied them by saints who who, you know, you add a dash of of grace yes. to the picture and they they just explode in holiness, right? But at that time, I didn't really see them as virtues. I mean, they were exemplifying human virtues, you know. But I really didn't pinpoint that. I thought it was a, I thought it was a lovely book, and I think it tells great stories of wonderful women. And that just made me a little bit more convicted the next time to be more direct in in my pursuit of what the virtues are. So when I wrote Supergirls and, and Halos, in that. I actually broke it down by the four cardinal virtues and and gave a little bit of catechetical instruction on on what those virtues are and how they're exemplified, not just in the saints, but in that particular book on what was very big in the culture at the time, all those superhero movies. So I, I looked into a lot of those fictional characters that sometimes we say, oh, you know, they're good role models. And they are, but the saints are better role models. And what's the difference between the supergirls and the saints, do you think? Again, it's that it's that understanding of their human dignity in light of who their creator mm. is, you know, whose they are. And, and, um, and I think that that makes all the difference <laughs> is that knowing that that you are the beloved of, you know, of the father. And that is so important in, in, in these saints, you know, because a lot of saints, they're just like us. You know, we're made of the same stuff. We are complex and we're sinners and we want to do better. And we really can't do it alone, not without, you know, not without the Lord's grace. And then that grace coming in as kind of a superpower, you know, because the supergirls, the models that the world puts up for us have their own power. And they do. The, the saints are almost powerful because of their lack of power, because the Lord works through them, was building on nature and so on. That, that's right. And and what's beautiful about it is that it's it's such a quiet power, you know, because when you see the superheroes, they're exploding and they're blowing things up and they're flying through the air. And and the saints, you know, it's a wonder that we have as many Canada saints as we do today, because most of them are just going down underneath the radar. You know, they're just doing doing the good, you know, as uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, right? Edith Stein said uh, something along the lines of our power coming from that gentleness in our spirit. And so I, I, I really appreciated her later in life and, and her practical approach to things of faith. Well, it, it seems to me a kind of a natural step to go from saints and superheroes to women of the Bible. And I know I had done kind of a similar thing in the, my book, Becoming Women of the Word, in looking at biblical women and then looking at women in my life who had exhibited the same sorts of faith and dependence on God and who, who taught us in, in virtue, just kind of a similar thing. But you wrote a fascinating series for the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible on using virtue to combat our tendency to sin. And you paired up virtues and vices, and then you used a biblical woman in each case to kind of exemplify either the heroine or the bad girl, <laughs> one or the other. And I would love you to 
talk a little bit about that. First of all, just, you know, what's the deal with pairing up virtues and vices? Why would we want to do that? And then maybe give some of the examples of the pairs that you wrote about in, in the Women's Bible. Oh, yeah. So I think that what this final project was, I think it was the culmination of the work that I started in, you know, the Badass Saints book and then kind of went through it uh, a little a little deeper in the Supergirls book. And that is that we do have these virtues in us and that we are called to practice them. You know, that's a beautiful gift to to practice perseverance. You know, my Internet capacity is always very limited and I find myself that that's the virtue that I try the most hard to to work on, to keep going and, and trying to find a solution. So I thought that, wow, you know, I could focus on all of the negative things that really lead to sin in my life, or I could look at how understanding what that sin is can help me find, a, if not a workaround, certainly something to work on in terms of moving towards a life of virtue instead of being caught up in the world. And so when you asked me to to think about what we could do in this project, I thought it was kind of natural to keep looking at pairs of of women and see how, although we could have a tendency to one or more of these kinds of sins in our lives, that we can also look to the great examples of women who chose differently you know, chose holiness, chose virtue, chose God over sin. It doesn't mean that we stop sinning, of course, but but that it gives us something to work with. Yep. So I, I looked through it and it was surprisingly a lot easier to find the sins <laughs> than it was the examples of virtue. So you use the seven deadly sins, right? The seven deadly sins and then with the virtues. Can you tell what a few of those are and then the women that you put with them? Yeah, I I actually today I'd like to talk about three of them and and I think that they are I think that they are very timely in our world. The first one is overcoming lust, the deadly sin of lust with chastity. And I talk about two people, Potiphar's wife in the story of of Joseph and also the story of Susanna mm -hmm. and Daniel in, in the story of Daniel. And I think that that's a timely topic today. I mean, we are just bombarded with with sexual sin in our in our world. You know, you turn on the TV. If it's not on the news, it's certainly in our entertainment, in our music, even in our art. The tragic availability of pornography uh -huh. today—it's all an assault on on the human person. And so I looked at, and it's not new. You know, I and I especially loved that I was able to go into the Old Testament and find these stories that are thousands of years old. Maybe tell the stories quickly, just for those who aren't familiar with them. Sure. So so I think that we're all familiar with Joseph and the Technicolor Coat. Thank you, Donny uh -huh. Osmond. Uh, but the story <laughs> of Joseph, who was <laughs> brought out of brought out of slavery to serve one of the uh, Pharaoh's courtesans or or leaders. And he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And because of his virtue and because of his intelligence, he was put into a position of respect and, and some power, but authority by Potiphar. And apparently he was a very handsome young man. And Potiphar's wife had an attraction for him and actually was an early case of sexual harassment. She wanted him and trapped him into a position where she was able to 
respond in a punitive way to his refusal to to commit adultery with her. And so she accused him of of sexual assault. When he, when he declined her, right? Yeah. Yeah, he declined her. And so it it and ultimately it hurt him very much. He ended up in jail to to save Potiphar's reputation. He had to act in such a way. But the seduction uh, failed, you know, and his perseverance and chastity was costly to him. And I think the lesson for me in that is that choosing virtue over over vice also has a price. It 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 can hurt us in terms of what our expectations are, in terms of what our success can be. It's not an easy road. It's the good road. It's the right road, but but it's sometimes not an easy road. But he persevered and ultimately came out of that situation. But I think it's a good lesson for us today that even, and especially perhaps when we're falsely accused, to persist in, in, in our care for ourselves and to follow chastity. And obviously not what Potiphar's wife had yeah. in mind. You know, she, she went after her own personal satisfaction in many ways, not just sexual, but also in, in her retribution to Joseph for, for, his, for his refusal. And then on the other end of that is the the beautiful virtue of chastity. And we see that in the story of Susanna, mm-hmm. who was in, in her garden, living her life beautifully and was with her handmaids. And, and it was a private garden. And somehow two of the elders in the community were able to get gain access. And while she was unchaperoned, while her handmaids were getting her bathing materials, these two men came upon her and, and uh, demanded lustfully that she concede to them and and her rebuttal also incensed them and they brought her up trying to blackmail her brought her up on charges to the community and it was Daniel who came forward and saved her and so you know in, in this particular case the appeal to God and turning herself over to his mercy was what what saved her in this in this particular case but in both situations we see this unhealthy and unnatural chasing of lust and the costly defense of one's chastity. So that's a, that was a, I think it's a good story for, for today. So that was lust and chastity. And then you had a couple others? I did. I have also the story of, of Jezebel. You were talking about the bad girls of the Bible earlier. And so I, I feel that we need to bring up Jezebel because she's so well known. But do we really know her? She was the pagan wife of King Ahab and outraged at how Abraham's God was was the one that was more and more worshipped, uh-huh. right? The the true God. And she really convinced Ahab and 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 all of his circle of influence to to return to Baal. Yeah. And it, it just turned into a terrible society at the time of sin and wickedness. And so the Lord sent Elijah to confront Ahab and it incensed, incensed mm-hmm. Jezebel. And her wrath really was her ending because she did everything she could to thwart Elijah's influence on Ahab. And in the end, she she fell to her death and was, you know, mauled by 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 the wild dogs. 
So, I mean, a big lesson there to not let anger, to not let wrath overcome any sense that you have of reasoning and, and, and common sense. And I have a little streak of hotheadedness yeah. in my, huh, yeah. I, I we'll call it the, the Latin streak that I have in, in, in inflamed passions, if you will. I do Hopefully have a short you don't go sometimes. put out a hit on people like she did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. Oh. But she certainly is, I think, a terrible, in, in the sense of the word, <laughs> truly terrible and, and imposing figure of wrath. She had many uh, people in the killed. Old Testament. She really, literally. Yeah. I mean, she lost her mind. She was horrible. And I and I like to pair her with with Queen Esther um, with the lively virtue of meekness. And 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 I want to bring up meekness because that doesn't mean that you are, you know, somebody that can be walked all over. Meekness is having a, a particular direction to be calm and to proceed with, with care, and in Esther's case, to submit herself to God's will, which I think was very beautiful. Esther's story was that she was Jewish, but it was kind of hidden for a while as, uh, as she was um, the wife of King, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Ahasuerus. I can't even, thank you so much. Hopefully she could say it. <laughs> I hope so. I can't even try that one. But anyway, she was a, a good and submissive wife to him. And her her Jewishness was not something that was a common knowledge. And so when Haman, who was one of, one of uh, the king's men, wanted to plot to kill all the Jews in the kingdom, Esther went to Mordecai, who was her uncle, and for help. And Mordecai was the one who instructed her to proceed with meekness, to to be patient, to to put herself in God's hand and and to and to approach the problem, if you will, the situation with with a reasoned and careful trust in the outcome that that the Lord would have for them. And I thought that that was very also a very good example of being humble, but it's so starkly different from the control that Jezebel wanted to exert on Ahab. No. She, she submitted to, to, to the king and in that submission was able to, to convince him otherwise. And so that's also a lesson today, to not have a knee-jerk reaction to the world around us, but to think it through and to reason. And, and more than anything, to follow Esther's example, to first take it to prayer before acting rashly. And so I thought that was a... A, a very fine example. Yeah, the irony there is that, you know, Jezebel, the queen who took things into her own hands with anger and wrath and wanted to kill Elijah, did not succeed. Whereas Esther, who was meek and did not seek the death of Haman, I don't think, her enemy was killed and her people were saved. Um, not yeah. that I think that people That's being right. killed should be the result of our <laughs> of our wrath, but you know, God took care of the situation in the way that was, I guess, appropriate for that particular time. Yeah, that's right. And so I think that these are women who, who can um, show us a thing or two about today's world because we're really living in in the same things. You know, as human beings, we are, you know, we're, we're subject to the same, I don't know, the history repeats itself over and over again, I guess, until we can figure it out and finally get it right. 
And so my last one is one that's very close to me because the capital sin of sloth, um, I think, every writer everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Describe, define <laughs> sloth, though, because that's a lesser known one, I think. <laughs> Acedia, isn't it also called? Um, it is. It's Acedia also. And it is, it is this falling into like a stagnant phase in, in, in many things that you do, but primarily in your, in your spiritual life. And it is actually, according to the catechism, it is refusing the joy that comes from God and, and being repelled by God's goodness. And that's so deep, you know, that's just, it's, it's actually, it's actually sad that we can sometimes fall into into this kind of spiritual stagnation. And I know that it's happened to me a few times in my life. And uh, I think probably one of the most powerful saints to have exhibited this is, is, is Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who, who felt a great emptiness, you know, in her, in her, in her faith. And it's kind of sad, you know, it, it, it's kind of sad to, to not want the good. And how do you get out of it? You know, that's another issue is, is we get so comfortable, I think, sometimes in, in that darkness. It's both frightening and also cocooning. And the, what, what's sad about it is that we still do know that God's grace exists, and yet, and yet we reject it. And so in, in this particular case, I was drawn to Lot's wife. And we know the story yeah. that Lot's wife uh, was turned into a pillar of salt because mm-hmm. she turned around to look at the destruction behind her in the whole destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we have her being told by the angel to, to run when Lot said run no, no. and to not look back. And she looked back. And I tell you that of all of the women that I, that I wrote about in, in this series, she was the one that moved me the most with, with such sorrow and pity mm. because she loved where she was. She loved the life that she was leading. And, and perhaps it was because of the great comfort that it gave her, because it was what was known. You know, I, I'm just, you know, just imagining these things. But that when she was given this opportunity to run literally for her life and her soul, that she took that moment to just look one last time at what she was leaving. And it cost her dearly. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when I find myself that I get caught in a particular, you know, in a particular cycle of sin, say I say that I fall into to a great deal of gossip, for example, kind of excitement and, and pleasure, you know, in the gossip and to stop it and to really recognize the danger and the harm that you're doing to, to your fellow human beings by participating in this, you know, like I could know that it's wrong. But at the same time, oh, it gave me that pleasure no. to be able to, you know, one up somebody. And so I feel particularly close to, to poor Lot's wife in, in that regard that, you know, that she couldn't completely trust the Lord's plan for her and that she lost it because of that. And I counter that with a story of Mary and Martha. And it's kind of a stretch here, right? Did you probably look at that when I submitted it and think, okay, Maria. Well, we'll back up just a little because we're we're looking at sloth and the you know the tragedy and the sadness of that and the whole idea of pairing these yeah. virtues and vices. I think is that 
Sometimes yeah. it's really hard to give up the vice, but if we work on practicing the virtue, it can overcome the vice for us. So Absolutely. what is the virtue Absolutely. that uh, I assume you're going for Martha here that Martha has that would help to counteract sloth? It's perseverance. It's absolutely perseverance to keep going. And the thing that moves me here in, in the story of, of Mary and Martha, Mary was sitting at Jesus's feet. Martha was complaining about all the work that she was doing, is that Martha was pretty, pretty bold when she went to Jesus with this complaint. And I think that what's really amazing is, is how Jesus responds to her and says, you should be more like Mary. In other words, he didn't <laughs> give her the validation that she wanted. <laughs> he said, you should, yeah, well, maybe you're wrong and maybe you should be more like your sister. And so, but what I love about her and what I love about Martha is that she feels so comfortable. She feels so loved that she can be herself in front of Jesus and that, that she would say this to him. And even if she's a little, you know, mouthy or, or, or perhaps just kind of runs headlong into saying what's on her mind rather than thinking through. And what I love about Martha is that she perseveres in this relationship. She didn't, she was chastised, sure. But did she then run away from Jesus and not want him because he chastised her or because he didn't validate what she was feeling in that moment? No, on the contrary, that she continued to serve him and continued to serve their their little fledgling community and to be in relationship with him. So where Lot's wife turned from that relationship, I like to think that what Martha did was double down on her commitment to him. And I thought that that was a beautiful example of what perseverance is. You know, I think Sometimes when we're chastised at work or, 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 or in a family situation, that our tendency is to want to move away from it. And Martha didn't. She just kind of doubled down her, her love and her commitment. Well, I am enjoying your description of these, even though I've already read what you wrote. And you, there's, what, four more of them, I guess. So I encourage people who have the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible to look these up. You can find them listed in the back and the index under Pursuit Virtue, I think the, the title is. And you can kind of read from one to the next and they're beautiful, beautiful examples. And I think it's also a beautiful example of how we can learn from these stories. You know, whether the, whether the people are saints or sinners, you know, there are good lessons for us in how to live a life of virtue and to get closer to God. We can it's really very worthwhile learning their stories and getting to know them. Oh, thank you. I don't know about you, but when you write through things, it's almost like you're a whole new way of Yes, yes, I agree. So we do have a few minutes left, and I wonder if you would like to share a, if there's a particular scripture passage or verse that you pray with often that you'd like to share with people. Oh, yeah, thank you. I've been praying with Psalm 37 these last several months, and I, I think I first encountered it in, in like one of those little memes that you see on social media, just a, just a line of, of scripture that's taken completely out of context and, and seems to be exactly what you want to hear, right? And for me in Psalm 37, it was, it was the line, um, I think it was in three, maybe four, where it says, trust in the Lord and do good that you may dwell in the land and were secure. 
And then it says, find your delight in the Lord who will give you your heart's desire. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to get my heart's desire. <laughs> Whatever and you want, isn't right? that easy? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> As those things are, you know, when I went back in and I read the, and I read the whole Psalm, you know, the next line, it's always the Paul Harvey and the next page thing. And it's commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. So, so it's not just the, the happy little, pretty little pillow with a saying that you put on your, on your sofa, but actually it's, it's the rest of the story, which is that you need to commit yourself to him and to trust in him. And then eventually what will happen is that your will aligns with his, mm -hmm. I think. And so as I, as I pray through the whole psalm, you know, this is a psalm about the, 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 the battle of evil in the world and how we're called to, to respond with the goodness and to respond in trusting the Lord. So I think it's kind of even tied a little bit to my response to, to Lot's wife. In what way? In that there is all of this evil that is pervasive in our society. There is this assault on us, not just in big ways, right? Not just what we see war, we see murder, we see violence on TV, but in very small ways that attack the human person, that attack the, the foundation of the family. And we're called to trust in the Lord and to follow his ways in, in all things, not just the big things that are easy. You know, I can rebuke murder, you know, but can I rebuke, you know, a, a personal situation within my own family? Is that, you know, what's that going to do to the relationship? So those fears that we have that are on a small scale, but, but that can pick away at us very slowly over time. And so when I pray with this particular psalm, I love the line that says that the valiant are whose steps are guided by the Lord, who will delight in his way may stumble. In other words, it acknowledges that even though I am delighting in the, in the Lord and that I am making all of these great efforts to follow in his way, that I stumble, but that he will never fall for the Lord holds his hand. And the, those are lines 23 and 24. And for me, that's so powerful that even when I fail, the Lord is there to pick me up. What a merciful, beautiful Lord we have that loves us that much. So I continue. You know, when I pray this, I, I, I put myself at his feet and I am reminded of the other story from Mark in chapter 9, where the Roman approaches Jesus to save his child. Oh, the centurion. Yeah. Yeah. And he prays, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so I find that that is my prayer. Whenever I, I, I submit to the to my selfish desires, I fully understand the whole scope of what that commitment means for me. And that I, I do depend every moment of my tangy on the Lord's mercy. You have given us a great deal to think about. And I thank you for sharing all of that. And let's read that. I'll, I'll read that psalm together with those who are listening. I think I'll do verses 3 to 5 and then that 23 to 24 that you read. It's really powerful so we can pray together. And if you're listening, maybe close your eyes and allow the word to speak to your heart as I read. And I pray, come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. The steps of a man are from the Lord and he establishes him in whose way he delights. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord is the stay of his hand. I think I'm going to end with verse 27, which is pertinent to our conversation today. And he concludes, depart from evil and do good, so shall you abide forever. And we pray, Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace and your assistance as we delight in you and we learn to trust and wait. Help us as we strive to practice virtue and to put to death the sin that we're drawn to. We thank you for your word and for the life and strength that it brings. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us grace to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. Mary, mother of the word, pray for us. Thank you, Maria. It has been a delight talking to you today. Is there anything you'd like to add to leave our listeners with? Oh my goodness. Come and see what we're doing at catholicmom.com. And if you're interested in following any of the things I'm doing on social media, you can go and see my website, mariamjohnson.com. And uh, that will hook you up with both my books and my social media. Well, this is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. And look for the question this week asking who in the Bible is a model for you of virtue or an example of vice. I would love to hear from you. And if you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible or the brand new companion journal, they are available to you for a special price. $5 off of each and free shipping. Just go to AveMariePress.com and use the promo code Bible Podcast. And this offer is good through the end of 2023. God bless you as you read and live His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.